descriptions. Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This Shabbat weekend, the Shabbat before Passover is called Shabbat Hagadol. Say that with me. Shabbat Hagadol, the, the great Shabbat. And as we're preparing for Passover this year, I want to continue our focus on freedom and responsibility and, and to help us, it's always good to remind ourselves of something very specific. As Messianic believers, we remember what Yeshua has done for us at Passover. We remember how he came down from heaven. He lived in front of us and he lived a perfect life and then he died as a sacrifice for our sins. He became the atoning sacrifice in order to cover over the sin that separates each one of us from God. And in his death, not only did he accomplish that victory, but something more happened. He was buried, and then he rose again. And when he rose again, he returned back to his disciples and to Jerusalem and the Galilee. And he began to teach about his kingdom, and he taught people that he had conquered the power of sin and the power of death. And now the rest of us could receive the Holy Spirit, which he would send once he returned to heaven. So he had a big agenda, right? He had a lot to do here. It cost him a lot. And he accomplished a lot. And he sent his Holy Spirit to us so that each one of us could live a whole new life. We could have new hearts. We could have new minds. We could be born once again and this time of the Spirit and of the truth so that we could live for God. And we wouldn't have to strive to live for God. We would be empowered to live for God. We wouldn't have to wonder how do we close the gap between our inadequate righteousness and God's holiness. We would have a certain sacrifice. And when I use the word certain, I don't mean a particular one. I mean one that we could be absolutely sure about. And we would not have to wonder about this. We would not have to think, well, maybe I could win God's approval by being more religious than I ever was before. If you've tried that, good luck. You can never be holy enough on your own. No matter, no matter how hard you try, and people do try very hard, and no matter how many lousy people you try to compare yourself to so that you feel better and more holy than them. Because honestly, you can find rotten people everywhere. If you want to make yourself feel better about your condition, just look for really bad people. And then say, well, you know, I, I haven't done that, and I haven't done this, and I haven't done that, so you know what, I think I'm pretty good. And, and not only that, I helped an old lady across the street and I smiled at a perfect stranger. How about that? I am good. And I have two Boy Scout merit badges and a few other things too. 
if you are trying to earn your way into the kingdom of God, you can't. However, once you get that settled, it doesn't mean there's nothing for you to do. It means now you're ready to receive assignments from the Lord. And this week's Torah portion speaks about various offerings and sacrifices that that deal with sin, with guilt, with fellowship, with peace, with God. Offerings that had to be made again and again because of sin after sin after sin. But when Yeshua came, those sin sacrifices were no longer necessary because we had one perfect sacrifice. And so it's not necessary to keep offering sacrifices. We just need to put our trust and our confidence in God and truly amend our ways. Not by trying to be more religious or or holy enough for God, but amending our ways by repenting of everything that pulls us away from God and changing our heart's attitude so that we want to follow the Lord and then allowing him to circumcise our hearts, to give us new hearts, and to change the way that our minds work, to renew the attitude of our thinking and and so forth. And he calls us to be new creations so that you don't have to use your old creation to try to get in good with God. You can use a redeemed person You, who's in right standing and right relationship with God. Now, this is what I want to talk about. Last week, we were talking about freedom and responsibility, and we were talking about what the freedom means for us because the freedom was purchased for us. We didn't make ourselves free. God redeemed us. He paid a price. He bought us out of slavery, if you will, and paid a price so that we could be with him. And the purpose of our freedom could be summed up in the words that God gave to Moses to speak to Pharaoh. Let my people go so that they may worship me, or another way of saying it is, may serve me. Now, worship for some people only means singing a few songs. So if you think, oh, I need to be free, so that I can sing three songs on Friday night. That's not the full measure. Better to understand it this way. We're called to be free so that we can serve God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, with everything. So if you're sitting next to someone, smile at them and say, the Lord wants everything. He wants everything. (laughs) He wants the whole enchilada which you better eat quickly before Pesach comes. (laughs) He wants all your heart. He wants all your soul. He wants all your strength. He wants all of your mind. And he wants to, like, unite the, the broken components of you. Some people are ready to love God emotionally, but not with their minds. They don't want to think differently. They just want to feel differently. But here's the truth. The Lord wants you to be able to love him with your heart and your mind working together where you can think and you can feel differently. 
He wants you to be able to think differently, even if it has nothing to do with how you're feeling, that you would understand things differently. He wants you to dedicate the use of all of your strength and your power in loving service to him. Now, some people, I think, have a misunderstanding both of the Torah and the commandments and the grace of God. And they think that when Yeshua came, there were no longer any commandments. But we know that's not true because Yeshua was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? And if there were no longer any commandments or soon to be no commandments, he would have said, feh. But he answered the question, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then he gave a two-for-one deal, buy one, get one free. The, there's a second commandment that goes along with it. What is that? Love your neighbor as yourself. Right. These two, he said, are so important, they are number one and number two, and all the Torah and all the prophets hang upon them. So he gave an answer, but not only that, later he said, I give a new commandment to you. Love one another as I have loved you. It is so much easier to set a lower standard and then to meet that lower standard. You can think of someone who's not very good at being loving, and you can say, well, I, you know, I'm better than him. I'm better than her. But that's not what Yeshua said for us to do. He said, compare how I've loved people and then learn to love that way. Learn, so you know what that means. We have to study his life. We have to learn his teachings. We actually need his spirit inside of us to animate and empower us so that we will love other people according to the way that God is loving people. Sometimes God takes notice of people that we want to ignore. Have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever tried to escape having to see someone? <laughs> you see them before they see you. Or you even cross the street. Don't, don't raise your hands, but I'm... <laughs> I'm sure someone has crossed the street to avoid having to see someone or talk to someone. Maybe. I don't remember. I don't remember who it was. We've all tried to avoid contact with people. We've tried to ignore them, but Yeshua says, love one another the way I have loved you. And he comes to us and he takes notice of us. And sometimes he takes notice of people that we want to ignore and that we have successfully ignored, but he starts noticing them. And we start realizing that he's noticing them and he wants us to notice them too. And when we notice them, he wants us to um, find out what he wants the other day I had a problem with some, with our washing machine, to tell you the truth. And the guy who tried to fix it had to get parts and he came back 
It took a lot longer than I wanted to, uh, to get the parts and to, to fix it. And um, while the guy was working, installing all the parts, the Holy Spirit, I didn't even connect this until just now, but the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, give him $20. And this time I said, okay. And uh, I got my wallet out, I took 20 bucks out, and I just waited for an opportunity to do that. And during the time of waiting, imagine what I really wanted to do. Stick it back in my pocket. I wanted to cross the street. No, I wanted to... I wanted to lose the opportunity somehow, that's, no, let me put it this way. That was the tempting thought. But I didn't really want that. I wanted to bless him. And so I did. And so when all was said and done, I thanked him and I said, I want to buy you and your helper lunch today. So here you go. And I gave him the money and he thanked me. And he left. And I felt like, okay, Lord, I did what you wanted me to. And he said, good, that's good for you. And, and the next day, the washing machine stopped working. And that had nothing to do with the first part. It didn't change my attitude. I didn't think, drat, why did I give that guy 20 bucks? I th- he didn't even earn it. You know, it's, like, it's not fixed yet. They were separated. Why were they separated? Because the Lord took notice of this guy and put something on my heart. He put something on my heart, and I said yes to him. You see, there are times when God wants us to do something and he's not really so concerned with how we feel about it. He's concerned that we do it. In fact, that's part of what the Haftorah portion says this week. Uh, there are two Haftorah portions. If you can imagine, there's, there's one for Shabbat Hagadol, but there's also the normal one that would be read uh, if it weren't Passover, the week before Passover which is from Malachi, but the one from Shabbat Hagadol from Jeremiah 7 says, amend your ways, change your way of acting. And it's really straightforward, I'll read it to you. Jeremiah 7, 3 says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, mend your ways and your actions and I'll let you dwell in this place. Don't put your trust in illusions. And then it goes on, if you really mend your ways and your actions, and if you accomplish justice between one person and another, and charity is another way we could say it, if you don't oppress the stranger, the orphan, and the widow, if you don't shed blood of the innocent in this place, if you don't follow other gods to your own uh, hurt, then only will I let you dwell in the place in the land that I give to you and your fathers for all the time. So it's a call to get our hearts right and our actions right, but not just our hearts. This is what's important. We want to get our hearts right so that we can act in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. When my heart's not right, you know what? I never fully act right. And I'm not talking about how do you earn your salvation. How do you prove you're good to God? This is nothing about this. It's about 
how do we line up every aspect of our heart so that we can serve the Lord wholeheartedly with our actions and our hearts? So sometimes our hearts can be stirred up and we can be motivated like for the Taruma offering where we're stirred and we feel this strong internal motivation. We want to give to whatever God is asking for. And that's good. That's outstanding, in fact. But there are other times when it's not a matter of whether you're stirred or not stirred. He wants us to be faithful. And so the challenge is, how do we learn to be generous with God and faithful to God in all these ways, in in the ways where it's voluntary or free will, in the ways where it's required, or it's part of a commitment? Well, the book of Malachi from the Torah portion this week is actually the Haftorah reading normally associated with this week's Torah portion, is is from Malachi chapter 3. And you might want to turn there. There are just a few verses we want to look at, but there are two provocative questions that are presented there. And the first one is this. The Lord asked this to Israel. Will, Will someone rob God? You could even translate it, would anyone dare rob God? And then, that's what the Lord says, and then he says, and yet you've robbed me. Now, I want you to catch these three words, but you say. Say that with me. But you say, (laughs) in what way have we robbed you? Here's his answer, in tithes and offerings. And then he says, you really are under a curse because you've robbed me, even the whole nation is. Bring the full 10% into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And test me, or try me, or prove me. Or another way of saying it is verify for yourselves about me, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I won't open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And it goes on, and I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And then verse 12, and all nations, say that with me, all nations will call you blessed, and you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So that's the first provocative question that the Lord asks, will will someone rob me? And then the answer is, who, how? How could we have robbed you? And the Lord says, here's how. You didn't bring the full tithe. You did something else. So that's the first part. The second part is in verse 13 to verse 15 but it follows a similar form to what we just read. You've spoken harshly or arrogantly against me, says the Lord, and yet you say, what have we said against you? What do we say against you, Lord? You see, the Lord says something, and the people's response is, 
Well, what did I do? I didn't do anything. You say, but what have we said against you? Verse 14, this is the Lord speaking through the prophet to Israel. Well, you've said it's a waste of time to serve God. It's futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? And we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. And so this is a parallel. It's, it's a second issue. Both of them are part of the heart. They're heart issues. But they touch thinking, do you see? They touch the explanations we give, and they affect action, what we're willing to do because of the condition of our heart. And so the Lord says, it's not just about money, it's about everything. Because you say, you say, it's futile to serve the Lord. What do we get out of it? It's futile. You see, there are times when people feel like they've waited too long or they've hoped against hope and, and disappointment. They, they say internally, maybe not even to each other, but just inside and even in their prayers, what's wrong with you, Lord? Why'd you do this? How, how could you neglect me or mistreat me or so forth? Why did I even bother to, to serve you? And not only that, they begin to analyze others around them and they say, I'm looking around and I see evildoers are prospering. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. It's like, why is God patient with them? Why does he prosper them? I've been serving the Lord and it's a waste of time. I may as well, do you see the implication? I may as well live like they do They've got more of what I'm looking for. And that's the problem. The person's looking for the wrong things. Not looking for a heart that's tender to God and open to the Lord, but looking for their own definition of materialistic success. Materialism on their terms. And at Passover... God wants us to be stirred to be grateful in all kinds of ways. As you read the story of the Passover, you'll see just how hard it is to, to break this hold on the people's minds and their hearts. And miracles won't do it all by themselves. You know why? Because sometimes you have a miracle, but the heart remains unchanged. The miracle is impressed. You're like, wow, that was cool. But the heart is not affected at all. And so after the uh, initial enthusiasm about the miracle is over, the heart is still the same. What do we do with this? We, we've got to address our heart issues. And we, we have to get to the bottom of things by learning to love God in all the kinds of ways. We love God when what he's asking for us is to volunteer and we feel, oh, this is something I want to do. 
Have you ever heard of a ministry opportunity and you say, oh man, I want, I'm in for that one. And then there's another opportunity and you think, no way, Jose, I'm not, that's not for me. Or you like working with little kids and someone says, we need help with the teenagers. And you say, I rebuke that. Or you're comfortable doing what you're comfortable and good at, but you don't want to do anything you're not good at. Or you don't want to do. And the Lord has, he has a full portfolio of opportunities that check each part of our motivational system and structure and in order to show us the condition of our hearts so that our hearts can get right with him. And there are times when we're good with God, we think, because he's only asking us to do the kinds of things we want to do. But the moment he asks us to do something we don't want to do, we stick our fingers in our ears, we turn our attention elsewhere, we do our best to go to sleep. We induce amnesia in ourselves. We busy ourselves so that we will not be occupied. We allow concerns that we have for this, that, and the other to overwhelm us and keep us from doing that which we already know to do. But the Lord's looking for something really simple. He's looking for people whose hearts are open enough to God that what God wants to do becomes what they want to do. What's important to God becomes what's important to them. And he wants to deliver us from our slavery to our own sense of what's right in order to be free to do what he says is good. Do you remember the story Yeshua told about neighborliness? Because someone said, well, who is my neighbor? If I'm to love my neighbor as myself, who is my neighbor? And Yeshua told the story about that um, guy who'd been beat up and left by the side of the road. And, you know, some of the Levites, some of my boys were walking and they saw him as like other side of the street. Some others were walking, you know, good priestly guys, and they couldn't be bothered. They, had, they were too busy. And a Samaritan, and it's important to understand how provocative it was that Yeshua chose a Samaritan. The Samaritan was like half Jewish. Replacement theology in their viewpoint, they thought that they had replaced all the Jews. They had some erroneous ideas about how to worship God and so forth. They didn't like Jews. Um, so Yeshua says, but a Samaritan came and saw this man and, and took him to an innkeeper and paid for his care and, and rehabilitation. And so Yeshua says, so which one was neighborly? And the answer is the Samaritan. We even have a phrase in English, good Samaritan, right? Yeshua picks someone who's not kosher, 
and says, this one actually loved. This one acted like I want people to act because his heart was open. He wasn't stuck in his um, ethnic bigotries. He wasn't, um, don't, don't pigeonhole him or be prejudiced towards him. Yeshua aroused all that in the listeners, you know, Samaritans, you know, they're good for nothing. Samaritans, they're heretics. Samaritans, they hate us. Samaritans, they're our enemies. Um, Yeshua picked some example that aroused all that in his hearers, and then that Samaritan acts in a way that is superior to those who, who have this, uh, this uh, air of superiority. And it's a, it's a way of confronting things in ourselves where we realize, you know what, someone who, who may not be as religious as me or as right about this or that may actually serve God with a better heart than I do. Once you realize that we are all able to get cloudy in our hearts towards the Lord and towards ourselves, once you realize, you know, I may not be loving God with all my heart, and I may not be loving other people with all my heart, well, then you're on the road that Yeshua wants us on, where we can deal with it. But the moment we're thinking I'm better than all those others, we're we're already in a ditch, we're already stuck, we're already lost again, we're already confused. And the worst thing of all is we're not serving the Lord with our hearts. We become comfortable with our religious commitments but not with what's pleasing to the Lord. And that's why sometimes the Lord will give us things to do that require just a voluntary action and he's pleased when we do that. And other times he'll give us things to do that require mandatory action. And he wants to see, can we be pleased with that? Because he wants the heart to be strong. And it has to be strong in all those different ways. If you're raising kids, you know you've got to build all those strengths in them. If they'll only do good things when they feel like it, it can be trouble, right? They need to learn to, to do good and to open their hearts. I was talking to a teenager who's having problems with his family, and I said, you know, I just observed what happened in the family. Why don't you go and apologize? And I could clearly see what had happened that he had done wrong that he could apologize for. And he said, well, I don't feel sincere if I apologize, because I'm not sorry. And I said, you ought to be. And he said, I'm not. So it'd be a fake if I did it. Now, what I really wanted him to say is, I guess I gotta deal with that part of me that doesn't feel bad about having done bad. But he wasn't ready for that. But all of us can be like that, right? We don't feel bad. We got away with it. The lightning didn't strike. The heavens, the sky didn't fall. We're still alive. Okay, I guess, uh, I guess that Lord's not that serious about that one. Whew. I can do it again. 
No, that's the wrong way of thinking. We're trying to get our hearts right with God. We're not trying to get away with whatever we can. We're trying to get our hearts reshaped and reconfigured and retuned to do what's pleasing to him. And so it's interesting that Malachi touches these two different aspects, money and heart attitude about serving. And it helps us. It helps us examine ourselves and to say, well, how do I measure up on these things? Uh, How do I feel about giving my full tithe? And if the answer is, I don't really feel I need to, then you read Malachi 3, and you say, oh, I must be like the one who says, ah, we didn't really rob you because we didn't feel like giving. We didn't feel. If we don't feel, we don't do it. But the Lord says, no, that's the one that robbed me. Now, the other one he says something strong to is the one who says, well, I didn't feel like serving. In fact, I used to feel like serving, but I don't anymore because what's the point? What do you get out of it? And the answer is, if you're just trying to get something out of it, you're serving for the wrong reasons, the wrong motivation. And maybe if you're just trying to give to get or serve to get, it's all wrong. Everything's wrong and it's got to be fixed. I know people who who gladly give when they hear testimonies of someone who gave some money and then got a big payoff. And I call that uh, giving like the lottery. You know, where someone, I I can tell you in America it's really popular, and there's some other continents too, quite a few continents where if, if, if you want to receive a lot of money, this is what you do. You t- tell testimonies of people who have given you a lot of money and then how they got blessed amazingly. And then the listeners whose hearts are moved by that, who are thinking, well, that's better than buying the lottery ticket. I'm going to give today. Because I'm thinking, if I, if I give 100 bucks and that's going to hurt, you know, maybe I'll get $1,000. Wow. And they misread Malachi, which says, test me in this. But their hearts are so wrong because they are giving to get rather than giving because they've already received. You see, when you give the tithe, you're saying, I already received. And now I'm giving that 10% from what I received. But when you abuse that, you turn it upside down and say, I haven't received what I'm looking for, so I'm going to give, I'll give something, and I'm hoping this is the winning ticket. And there are so many people who are motivated by avarice and materialism that if they hear testimonies in the congregation about how someone gave and then they got this, you know, big payoff, they think, well, that's the way it works. Well, that's not the way it works. It works the exact opposite. God entrusts to us and he looks for faithfulness that we would return to him. And then he also asks for us to give above and beyond. And in the same way, he wants everybody to do their fair share of ministry and service because it's in their heart to do it. 
Not because their rabbi is belaboring this. Not because they feel guilty and they're thinking, okay, this is like the NPR, you know, or public TV um, fundraiser where they're not gonna put the program back on the air until enough people give. No, it's nothing like that. The Lord is, is really looking at the heart, but he knows what fixes the heart and what touches the heart and what reveals the heart. And he's, he's pointing out that money and how we handle our money with the Lord can show a lot about our heart. But also time, how we give our time, how we serve. And what we're willing to do in service to the Lord shows a lot about our heart. And what's he looking for? He's looking for people to have wholehearted love for him. And so he will put us in a situation where the condition of our hearts is revealed so that we can see, oh, I got a stinking attitude. That's the problem. That's my problem. I got a stinking attitude. I thought it was something else. No. I told the story about last week about the time when I was driving home from work and somehow the Holy Spirit told me to stop and give $20 to, you know, a vagrant type person. And I said no and drove on until I felt so bad and guilty that I turned around to assuage my guilt. And when I was ready to give for that reason, he wasn't there. And I was like, bemoaning the situation to the Lord. And the Lord says, you don't always get second chances. And I didn't get to do what was right that time, but I found out what my motivation was. You know what my motivation was? It was lousy. It was wrong. It stunk. And not only that, when I was willing, my motivation was still wrong. My motivation was, I, now I'm willing to give the 20 bucks to this guy. And the reason is, I don't want to feel guilty anymore. I want to assuage my own emotional guilt. And that happened 35 years ago. And I can look at myself and say, what a stinking attitude. What a lousy attitude. What a rotten attitude. And it only cost me 20 bucks to learn that. That I, I had a stinking attitude. That was the problem. It wasn't, well, I don't know what to say. Or I'm not comfortable. Or I'm kind of shy. It wasn't any of that. It's I had a stinking attitude. I wasn't willing to do what the Lord wanted me to do. That's a bad attitude. That's just a bad attitude. You hear what I'm saying? You don't have to put any polish on it. You don't have to shine it up and try to make it sound like a good attitude. I'm not trying to. I'm trying to tell you. You know what my problem was? I had a stinking attitude. And it affected my behavior. That's all it was. And once you learn that about yourself, don't forget it. You may have to have refresher courses. Another class, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that. Oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, I don't want to do that. Until you go through another class with the Lord. And the class is something like this. He says, we'll do it anyway. You say, well, I don't feel like doing it. 
He said, it doesn't matter if you feel like doing this one. Just do it anyway. And after you do it, then tell me how you feel. Okay, maybe. Sometimes we learn by saying yes to the Lord when we want to say no. If the only time you do things is when you feel like doing them, you're not loving the Lord with all your strength and soul and mind, just with your weak emotions. That's it. That's it. No different from any worldly person. So that's our challenge. Our challenge is to face these things and, and to recognize when God is asking us a question like, uh, you've really said some harsh things about me. And if our response is, what? I, what did I say? And he says, well, I'll tell you what you said. It's, it's the other morning when you could barely pray because you were thinking, why am I even bothering? <laughs> I heard it. <laughs> right? When we look at giving in the scriptures, we discover that some giving is free will and some giving is mandated. And I'll, I'll give an example of borders and boundaries on this very quickly. In, in the scriptures, ownership of property is viewed as stewardship. You are the owner, but you are a steward. Who is the ultimate owner? God the creator of what you possess. And he keeps title, but he entrusts it to you. And he still has expectations. There are covenants on the property, if you will, that you hold. And one of the covenants that God spoke to Israel was this. When you're, when you're reaping your harvest, you can't go all the way into the corners. You have to leave the corners for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the needy. Leave the corners for them. Not only that, but you won't get everything on the first take and you'll drop some stuff. All of what remains is for those in need. It's your property, but, and it was your work, and you paid for it, but this is justice for the needy, and it's required. If someone says, well, I don't like it, the Lord says, you're a thief. You're stealing from me. But I don't agree. It's my property. The Lord says, I gave it to you. It's my world. And so forth. And if we're arguing with the Lord about rights, we miss everything. We, we have responsibility that goes with it, and the accountability, first of all, is to the Lord. It's that simple. And you can say, well, I'm not under the law. In which case, you truly aren't. You're lawless. And that's a problem. Or you might say, well, I'm under English common law. Well, good. Move to England. <laughs> Whatever. That's an example. That's an example where 
someone who is fully the owner of something has limits and boundaries of their own rights to that thing. You see? It's very straightforward. And if someone says, well, I never agreed to that, the answer is tough. (laughs) So what? That just means you don't care about the widows and the poor and the orphans and the strangers. That means you don't care about the ones that God's protecting. That means you're unjust, you're uncharitable, etc. But I only want to do what I freely want to do. Yeah, that's the problem. Are you following with me? Good, because the Lord wants us to line our hearts with him and our values with him. And that means we give up certain rights in order to fulfill certain responsibilities. Now, there are other things where it has to be wholehearted, like the Taruma offering. Receive an offering for the sanctuary, but only from those whose hearts are stirred, who want to do it. It's not compulsory. It's for those that are stirred. Okay. If someone's not stirred and they're just feeling guilty and they're trying to assuage their guilt, let them keep their money. Don't receive it from them. Okay. Straightforward. Right? Condition of the heart. Well, I think that's enough for tonight. <laughs> and all God's people said, oh man, phew. <laughs> Let's close. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that our freedom came at a price and that our service comes at a price. And it is indeed a spiritual sacrifice and a worthy offering to submit our hearts to you and our lives to you and to say yes to you and to serve you wholeheartedly with all that you entrust to us and with all that we have and all that we are. And let it be, Lord, that we are glad in our obligations, we are glad in our freedoms, we are glad in our opportunities, and we are cheerful as we're giving to you with all of our lives. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Don't forget, if you want to get chametz out of your house, don't forget to get it out of your heart. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'era Adonai panavelecha v'yichanecha. Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasemlecha. Shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.